Order. The Prime Minister. What a good idea. I move that we take the Speaker's words down. Mr. President, catch this. The point of order is sustained. I rise today to begin to filibuster America and reach for the stars. We are human together. The best in America. I might have got here on my own. Howdy and welcome back to This Is News, now featuring an intro package. I'm Reem, joined as always by Jack. Jack, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Jack, before we dive right in, I want to actually encourage our listeners to go ahead and find us on Twitter at This Is News Pod. Sometimes we'll ask for audience feedback on the account, and we always welcome feedback to the account. So I'd encourage all of our audience members to go ahead and give it a follow and make sure to hang on to every message we send through it. Jack, I thought you were going to say something. Um, Nope. (laughs) You should just follow us on Twitter. That's enough said. Our Twitter account is that great. It needs no additional justification. Stands alone. All right, let's dive right in, Jack. This week has seen continued um, protests and general unrest over the death of George Floyd and the larger issue of systemic racism in the United States. Jack, what do you what do you make of the riots that we're seeing in some cities within the United States? Um, well, I think first it's incredibly important to differentiate. There is a huge difference between those who are engaging in rioting and those who are engaging in peaceful protests. I think uh, we are all in agreement, all sides of the uh, aisle, that uh, those who engage in peaceful protests, regardless of what they're protesting for, but especially in the case of addressing this injustice, they are well within their rights and they should be allowed to do so. However, rioting is a different story. It does not matter how egregious the injustice is. There is simply no justification for violating your neighbor's rights breaking into your neighbor's property, stealing their stuff, lighting things on fire, or in some extreme cases, murdering other people. That is completely inappropriate and disconnected from the issue at hand. There is no correlation between stealing something at a target or beating someone up and standing for justice when it comes to the uh, murder of George Floyd. There's, There's no way you can make that connection. And when it comes to the rioters, uh, both the governors and the federal government need to do everything within their power to uh, to resolve the problem and get the riots to cease. The entire point of the government is so the government will protect your rights, which include life, liberty, and property, and riots are violating all three of those. And I'm totally okay with governors using the National Guard and even Trump in, invoking the uh, Insurrection Act if necessary, uh, so long as these riots cease. Uh, what do you think about him? Yeah, so I want to agree that damage to property doesn't... Yes, you're not killing anyone, but it doesn't... It, it's not It's not justified to try and make a point with riots. Um, there's been a number of people who have been comparing these riots to the 1968 riots that followed the death of Martin Luther King, who then mentioned the fact that the Civil Rights Bill of 1968 was passed a week after the riots began, saying that, oh, look, riots work. That bill had already passed both chambers of Congress and was just in conference committee where they were ironing out the final details of it um, about a month before Martin Luther King's assassination. 
the legislature was already addressing things. The riots didn't necessarily lead to that bill getting passed because both chambers had already passed it. They were going to agree to a conference committee report. The question was just what that conference committee report was going to say. Um, so I think anyone trying to use the 1968 riots following Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination is being disingenuous with their portrayal of the legislative process. Um, because a lot of people are using it to almost infer that they passed a whole, they, they drafted and passed an entire piece of legislation in a week, which definitely didn't happen. Um, it's also worth noting the, uh, uh, yeah. one of the reasons the 1960s saw so much uh, significant progress in civil rights is because of the peaceful protests of great men like Martin Luther King, and they stressed the uh, need for it to be peaceful. Uh, taking the high road does work, and uh, it is because of that courageous and uh, righteous actions of people like Martin Luther King that we have the uh, Civil Rights Act of 1964, that we have the Voting Rights Act. And I uh, think that if they had chosen a different route and if they had instead uh, devolved into violence, we would not have those same liberties today. It is because they took the high road, not the low road, that we have those uh, protections of our civil liberties today. Right. Uh it's worth remembering about Martin Luther King's protesters, of course, that when they were ordered by police to move, they wouldn't move, but they wouldn't fight back. Right. So. Right. And we also should note there's a difference yeah. between acting against public uh, entities and individuals and private. Like if the government is committing an injustice, it's one thing to refuse to move as they're trying to violate your First Amendment right to protest. It's another thing to go. This injustice just happened that TV would look nice on my wall. Like, you can't you can't do that. There's really no correlation. I mean, uh, there's one is protesting the government, which is a valiant and noble thing to do. The other is stealing your neighbor's, neighbor's property, which is just the worst of coveting and envy and greed and wholly unacceptable in a civilized republic. It's not even that. It just takes away from your message, right? Like That is also a good point. Advocating for something peacefully and then you are forcibly dispersed, you're not the ones who the public perception is going to turn against, right? Right. It's like the protesters in Lafayette Park in D.C. who were there protesting peacefully until they were forcibly removed so the President of the United States could go take a photo op with a Bible that's not even his. Yes, that, that was a bad moment. One thing I would like to add real quick, though, before we move entirely to that topic is uh, I think the media has done a great disservice in uh, inflating the protesters with the rioters. Uh, you, made the point, you made the point about how it damages their message. I think it doesn't because the rioters aren't advocating for the same message as the protesters. The protesters want justice for George Floyd, and that's a very noble goal. The rioters want a new TV. And as such, I don't think that the uh, riot should discredit the uh, goals or intentions of those who want justice for George Floyd. Now, of course, if you are someone who wants justice and you are for some reason rioting, then in that case, you are hurting your uh, your uh, credibility. Your and it's, yeah, it's just going to turn people against you. But, yeah, uh, and I want to be... I want to be clear about something. We're condemning everyone who is inciting riots, be that folks on the far left or the far right. Anyone who is just using this as an opportunity to advocate for chaos 
is doing a disservice to the important work of creating a more equitable system in this nation. Exactly. But you're right. What doesn't help during this time of chaos and anarchy is uh, the president of the United States uh, moving what appears to be peaceful protesters out of the way so that he can go get a photo op. Now, I will admit I've heard conflicting reports on just what the Secret Service did to the people, if it was tear gas, smoke, if the people were acting in inappropriate ways, if they were being peaceful. I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what went down, and I'm not sure I can find out. But I do know that the image of the president moving people so he can just go take a picture at a time we need him to step up and act like a leader doesn't help a thing. It was it was wholly inappropriate, and it, it just honestly makes him look bad and is a, a campaign ad for Joe Biden, essentially. Well, and here's something that really struck me, is a number of the president's supporters then said that this was the epitome of leadership, right? Former governor of Scott Walker tweeted something to the effect of, can you imagine any other president doing this? Yes. Dwight D. Eisenhower was the supreme commander of Allied forces. He's much braver than the current president. George H.W. Bush is a war hero who is much braver than the current president. Like, yes, I, I do think that both sides are guilty. It's absurd. Yeah, I would to say, say that it represents strong leadership. For sure, I think both sides are guilty of this right now. It's ridiculous on both sides. To the Republicans saying that Donald Trump is our bravest leader ever, uh, George Washington led our uh, Revolutionary War, and uh, during his time as president, when there was insurrections, he got on his horse and he went and led the military to put it down. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt got shot and then finished his speech before he sought medical help. There, there are plenty of presidents manlier and braver than Donald Trump. And you can say that you'll yeah. support the guy and vote for the guy without comparing him to King David or the greatest president ever. It's okay to just say that you're willing to vote for him. He doesn't have to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. And on the other side of the aisle, we've seen some Democrats who have jumped the gun. And I believe it was the New York Times, I think, who ran an opinion piece saying Donald Trump is the biggest threat to the republic. We did have a civil war. And we did have to have a world war against fascism. So on, on both sides, we need to calm down a little bit when it comes to Donald Trump. And when it comes to events like this, where he moves protesters so he can get a photo op, it's not the greatest action in the world. And it's not the most evil action in the world. It's simply a dumb and inappropriate thing for the president to do. And that's enough. Here's what I wonder, though. Jack, here's what I wonder. Is it going to be the thing that we remember about the Trump presidency, right? There's been a lot, right? And if we assume he loses in November, which is a discussion, of course, for another podcast when we can spend a lot more time on the issue of the 2020 general election. But if we assume he's going to lose in November, at this point, would you say him moving protesters out of the way with force in order to go take a photo op at a church he doesn't attend, holding a Bible he doesn't read? will be the defining moment of his presidency? Honestly, no. Um, there was, uh, it's rather humorous. There was a, uh, at my work, there was a car covered in uh, Democratic bumper stickers. So I obviously disagreed with a lot of them. But one I found rather humorous was targeted towards him. And it says, uh, when you elect the, the clown, you should expect the circus. And uh, we have certainly gotten the circus 
And there's been so many crazy events that I'm not even sure this stands out. I mean, uh, on the offensive crazy side, you have his like Charlottesville comments, which I would argue are much more Mm. egregious than what he did here. You have uh, his attacking of John McCain, a uh, dead war hero. You have his attacking of Gold Star family. You have his comments on uh, women, his offensive, uh, the uh, Bush tapes. And then you also have the crazy things he done does that are just ridiculous like his a playing with trucks on the white house lawn which happened his a staring into a solar eclipse his touching of an orb saudi king and uh his chief of staff there's there's so much about this president it really has been a reality tv show i mean he does in one news cycle lasts about a day with him where it would last a month with another president because he just goes through so many crazy things I'm not sure that this event in particular will stand out. I think the pattern that it shows will stand out, that he's not really a good or efficient leader. And that's that's basically it. Everything around him is chaos. There's no plan. And he doesn't really seem to get how to effectively execute the responsibilities of his office. And it shows in stuff like this. I mean... His responsibility would be providing calm and reassurance to the American people and say, simultaneously, we're going to put it into these riots and we're going to uh, get justice for George Floyd. That should be his message. Instead, he's uh, pushing protesters out of the way and just giving Joe Biden uh, more uh, fuel for uh, the uh, 2020 election. And it, it just really shows that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Here's something that I find really interesting, though, and I'll be brief on this, is that it seems like some of the institutional figures in D.C. are starting to come out and be more critical of the president. Um, Secretary Esper, um, Defense Secretary, of course, said that the photo op was a mistake, I believe, um, and basically tried to walk back his involvement in it. Um, But it's not just that, it's also that General Mattis, who's the former defense secretary, came out with a blistering statement in the Atlantic. Um, He'd long said that he would have things to say about the Trump administration. He just wanted to wait for the right time. And this is a guy who tried to do the honest work of protecting the United States while in the Trump administration, who who resigned because he simply couldn't agree with the policy of the president and has now come out to say that it's... It appears Trump is not even trying to unify the country, but just push divisions. And then you had former President Bush, who came out with a, what I thought was very well put statement regarding all of the events that are occurring, which to me wasn't necessarily a critique of Trump. It was just a critique of how far the Republican Party has gone since the days when it believed that compassion was a skill that effective leaders showed. Yeah. I, uh, I think that, uh, first addressing the uh, general Mattis issue, it really shows how terrible of a boss and leader Donald Trump has been. Uh, Mattis, uh, you could also point to Jeff Sessions as one of the guys who got the base fired up about Trump. We were excited that mad dog Mattis was going to be back in the white house. And we see that Trump, unfortunately doesn't have any guiding philosophy. I mean, with like Reagan, you had his conservative beliefs. With FDR, you had his progressive beliefs. And that is the philosophy that 
guided their administrations. Trump is guided by personal loyalty and whatever he's feeling like that day. So it doesn't matter if you're giving the best policy advice or the worst policy advice. He just cares about personal loyalty and how much you compliment him. And as soon as he doesn't feel like he's getting that from you, he'll turn on you in an instant, which is just a terrible trait for a leader to have. And we saw that. I mean, he talked about how awesome Mattis was a few years ago, and now he's tweeting about how the one thing he and Obama have, have in common is they got to fire Mattis. And that's just not good leadership. And if he keeps this up, he will lose in November. I mean, uh, there is a saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. If you attack all of your allies and all of the people that got you there in 2016, good luck getting back there in 2020. It, it is going to be very difficult for him if he keeps uh, up this, uh, frankly, childish behavior. Well, and it's it's going to be particularly difficult for him if recent polling is anything to go off of, as Trump's approval among Christians, which was one of his big constituencies last cycle, was something that kind of carried him into the White House. And just this week, we got a poll that said since March, Trump's support among white evangelicals has dropped 15%, and Trump's support among white Catholics has dropped 27%. Those are double-digit drops in constituencies Trump can't afford to lose if he's going to win re-election. Yeah, for um, sure. And I think that's a really yeah. good sign for the long-term uh, prosperity of the Republican Party. I think in the short term, obviously, it could cost Trump the election in November. But a one thing that I think a lot of us conservatives were really worried about when uh, Donald Trump won the nomination is the uh, destruction of the soul of the Republican Party, that he would take it over and ruin it, and it would no longer be a home for conservatives. It would be a home for right-wing populists and uh, like Trump, Trump supporters. And the fact that his behavior is disgusting so many Republican groups that were crucial to getting him there in uh, 2016 is a very good sign. It shows that they aren't willing to put up with that behavior in a bubble. And although maybe a lot of voters will make a uh, cost-benefits decision where they go, yeah, I can't stand him, but I also don't want a Hillary Clinton presidency, which is one thing. They aren't just condoning his behavior, and if he keeps it up, they will turn against him, which I think shows a lot of hope for the Republican Party in the future, and that it will bounce back from Trump and uh, stick to its core values, I hope. Yeah, and I think some of those people who've been pushed out of the party are particularly noteworthy, especially one who is the only libertarian member of Congress, Representative Justin Amash from Michigan, um, who this week introduced legislation that would abolish qualified immunity. It has been sponsored by nearly every Democrat in the leadership, including the chairman of the Rules Committee and a majority of the squad. Um, and it's always notable when a libertarian and a member of the squad agree on something for government to do. Yeah. Qualified immunity, of course, is a court-invented precedent. Um, it was never legislated by Congress. That makes it nearly impossible to charge any police officer for any wrongdoing um, unless it meets incredibly – in civil court, in civil court. Criminal matters are different, of course. Um, it makes it nearly impossible to sue any police officer for wrongdoing unless it meets exceptionally narrow – um, circumstances which are almost never met. The Supreme Court has, of course, had a number of cases um, that they could choose to grant certiori to. 
um, allowing them to overturn it, but they have yet to do so. So Amash has decided that it's time for Congress to take the reins on this. Jack, what do you think of Amash's bill on qualified immunity? Uh, I definitely think it's a great idea. I mean, uh, qualified immunity, for those who don't know, the uh, as the Hill explains it, I think they do a really good job. It basically says that if a civil rights plaintiff can't identify a case clearly establishing the police conduct question is the law, then the courts will grant the defendant police officers immunity from prosecution, uh, which is the qualified immunity. And that seems kind of backwards to me. From what I know about uh, most laws when it comes to people who are an expert in a certain field, if the average person messes up it's uh okay but if they mess up it's bad like if uh if i went over and i helped someone uh from a car crash and i gave them medical help and i ended up hurting them i believe that i could be immune from that uh because of like good samaritan laws and things like that but if a, a doctor ran over and they ended up hurting them they could be uh held liable because they're supposed to know what to do so it's very odd that we seem to have that doctrine backwards with the police, where the average citizen get punished more for the same violation, even though the police who theoretically have been trained to know better. And uh, it clearly does need to be eliminated. I mean, uh, there's no reason that if the uh, police act unjustly towards you, they should get to be protected from uh, the consequences of that action. I mean, if your neighbor violates your rights in any shape, way, or form, you get to take them to court. Why would it be different just because your neighbor has a badge? That just doesn't make sense. And again, again, qualified immunity doesn't stop criminal penalties. It just stops civil penalties. Right. Um, here's what gets me, Jack, is why isn't the House Minority Leader coming out in support of this? Right. Why aren't we seeing Republican leadership also be in favor of this? Because here's what it does is it allows for government oversight by an independent judiciary, which is something I would think conservatives would encourage. And it rolls back blatant judicial activism, which is something all conservatives are opposed to in 99 percent of cases. Yeah, it uh, it really does seem like a conservative win. I mean, uh, we hate judicial activism. That's the job of the legislature, not the uh, judiciary. And I must point out uh, the uh, sad irony that judicial activism is often justified as the court needs to step in to help the little guy. But we see that uh, its uh, consequences tend to harm the little guy, as is the case with the qualified immunity. Well, I honestly can't think of a logical reason why the Republicans would not be behind this. I mean, when you told me about it, I asked you, I was like, is there like, was it like the uh, stimulus package where Nancy Pelosi packed it with a bunch of leftist pork? Like, it's three what's pages the justification? Long. But yeah, it, uh, they're, they're really, I'm scratching my head thinking about it. Maybe something will come out that'll justify it. But unless I'm blatantly missing just the glaring red flag somehow, I can't see a logical reason not to support. The only thing I could have possibly uh, thought of is some federal federalism issue where it should be the states doing it, not the federal government. But if the precedent is created by the Supreme Court, it would kind of make sense to have the federal Congress and be challenging the president it. comes off of a federal law. It's yeah. off of interpretation of federal law. Exactly. So, so it, it's really hard to spin yeah. my uh, head around um, – for a single a single reason why Republicans would not support this bill, you know, I'm yeah, coming. This I'm, needs I'm to pass both chambers of Congress unanimously. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, and anything short is in like I literally just can't see how you can't support this as either a conservative or a progressive. Yeah, it right? uh, like there are some issues. Equality under the law. Let's make it happen. Yeah, there are some issues which hopefully we can come together on uh, on a bipartisan basis. And uh, if we can't unite under the idea that police should be held liable for uh, uh, infractions against the citizenry, that's a really bad sign for the uh, future of the uh, country. Now, but, uh, I saw a really good sign for the future of the country earlier this week. When the New York Times editorial board allowed an op-ed to be published by Senator Cotton of Arkansas, which was in favor of using the military to help supplement local police in these times in order to help stop rioting. Um, the Times editorial board is opposed to this view, but they ran the op-ed anyways, stating that in order for the view to become discredited, you have to actually present the view, and that's how the marketplace of ideas works. The editorial board was roundly criticized by a number of New York Times staffers and has since kind of walked back their, what I thought was actually impressive, advocation of the marketplace of ideas. It's not often I praise the New York Times editorial board, and it's a shame that they backed down so quickly. It, it really Jack, is. Yeah. I uh, I read the uh, piece. And I thought I think Tom Cotton's right. I uh, do believe that uh, we are in a point where it's justified to use the military. I mean, uh, the last time we had a riot, and, and, if, if I can interject here real quick, if I can interject here real quick with just a piece of data, a poll was run that showed 58 percent of Americans support using the armed forces to supplement police forces. Right. Yeah. No one. And like. Uh, it, no it, one's really asking for tanks to roll down Hollywood Boulevard at this point, right? But right, it uh, just to help. And it has precedent. This isn't like Trump woke up one day and was like, "Can I send in the troops?" Like, no, that's not that's not a thing. Uh, the Insurrection Act's been around a long time, and uh, most recently, I believe, was enacted during the 1992 Rodney King riots. Uh, so it, it definitely has precedent. But uh, for the New York Times. It was really troubling to see this uh, happen, and it's been a trend on the left for a while. They have been radically becoming more and more anti-free speech. Uh, they, it's not enough to disagree with an idea. For some of them, you have to completely prevent the idea from being discussed. They're just kicking they're, – they're basically shrinking the Overton window, and any view well – Sorry, what? To be fair, Jack, I don't think the right isn't guilty of doing this as well. Like, or is it not guilty? Right. I would have like, to argue that the right is much better at this. I can't think but, of any mainstream Jack, Republican who's been arguing for a hate speech ban, for example, or anything like right, that. That but is Jack, a, how often? How often do you see AOC invited on Fox News to present her views, or even? <laughs> asked to write an op-ed in the wall street journal presenting her views on climate change or i would have to say there is a huge difference between me choosing to not let you use my platform to advocate for something and me actively trying to shut down others for allowing you to use your platform or wanting the government to do it and i think the left is okay but the New York Times invited Tom Cotton to do this, and it's their platform, so aren't they allowed to basically say, okay, we won't do this again? 
They are allowed to. I will say there's a lot. That is another thing. Just because I don't like moving, I think that it should be banned. Uh, but uh, it was kind of an embarrassing moment for the New York Times. Uh, they have historically claimed that they stand up for free speech. I mean, there's a number of Supreme Court precedents advocating for freedom of the press where it was the New York Times who was uh, the ones, uh, one of the subjects of the court case. And to see the same New York Times whose uh, workers were okay with the Taliban, the Taliban, the same Taliban who run the, uh, who are in Afghanistan torturing innocent people, doing evil, vile things, they were okay with the Taliban writing an opinion piece. But they protest when a Republican from Arkansas, who happens to be a U.S. senator, writes an opinion piece, is a really troubling sign, not just for uh, the New York Times, but discourse in America as a whole. I mean, if one side of the political aisle is more willing to hear from terrorists than the other party, that, that's going to be a huge problem for future public. Okay, but Jack, it's not exactly like Republicans are immune from this. There's been poll after poll that shows the level of contempt Republicans have for Democrats can be near that that Israelis have for the Palestinian government, right? So like, that's there not... definitely, there is a poll, I know what you're citing, David French talked about in the National Review, uh, there are some troubling trends about uh, the Republican Democrat Party, about one in five Democrats uh, would support uh, violence against Republicans if they lost the election, and about, I believe, one in eight Republicans would support violence against Democrats if they lost the election. But I think it comes down to the fact that the Republican Party has consistently shown restraint when it comes to uh, silencing the opposition uh, with the force of government and the left. Wait, 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 Jack, Jack, Jack. Yes. Let's remember which party it is that made the Speaker of the House incredibly powerful invested them with immense amounts of authority to control discourse in the house of representatives i'm not i'm not talking about the house of representatives that's different time place and manner laws would okay. would would be a thing in a uh, public institution such as the house i'm talking about in the united states as a whole public discourse i mean when's the last time you saw a liberal speaker have to pay out hundreds of thousands in security because of the riots and protests outside demanding that the university not let them speak because conservatives are out there protesting, claiming that their speech is equal to violence. You don't see that, but you do see time and time again where the left protests conservative speakers equating their speech with violence. You have seen conservatives get uh, have to leave campus for security issues. You have had uh, conservatives' invitations Jack, rejected. Jack, are you... Jack... What's up? Let's be clear. You're not talking about folks like Milo Yiannopoulos, who's not a conservative, right? No, I'm talking about Ben Shapiro. I believe uh, George Bush's wife, whose first name's escaping me right now, Laura, right? Laura. Laura Bush. Uh, she. They tried to get her shut down. I'm talking about uh, who else have they tried to do it for? Basically, every single conservative speaker. Uh, Christina Hoff Summers, they tried to do it for her. Stephen Crowder. If you are right of center, they attempt to shut you down. And not only do they do that, they are willing to use the force of law to do so. I mean, they are starting to be in favor of hate speech laws and banning ideas they fundamentally disagree with. And uh, that is a very, very troubling idea. And it is uh, it is not healthy for public discourse whatsoever. 
And uh, I do believe that uh, this New York Times thing is emblematic of that. I mean, uh, it used to be that the uh, if you go back to the 1950s, it was the other way around. I mean, uh, you had the uh, conservatives trying to censor a, a speech they thought was communist with like the Committee of Un-American Activities. And the left was claiming, no, no, no. Even if you disagree with it, you must stand up and let the uh, opposition side speak. And we've really seen them go completely against that idea now. And that, that, that scene with The New York Times, the very idea of considering the view worth debating and talking about seems to be utterly rejected by some of the staff at the New York Times. And I think that's a growing view on the left, and that will eventually, if not already, becomes the dominant view. And I just don't see that on the right. I've yet to see a mainstream uh, conservative or a large base of conservatives argue that even letting the left get their ideas out is a sin in and of itself and must be prevented. Okay. I can I don't think you can make a case for either party being the tolerant party in this day and age. Period. I, mean, I think on this issue like I like can. like like I hear what you're saying, but I don't think you can say that Republicans are genuinely interested in hearing the case of the left. I, I, or I would dis- Democrats so I would, are genuinely interested in hearing no, the case would, of the right. I would disagree with that because of Dave Rubin. So Dave Rubin, uh, I'm not sure are you familiar with his show? Just do the spiel. So, okay. Dave Rubin is a a former Young Turks uh, staffer who now has his own uh, uh, show. And he is a uh, gay married man who is pro-weed legalization, pro-progressive taxes, pro-abortion, basically not what you think your average conservative was. And he's talked about this nonstop. Uh, When he tries to engage with the left, shut down and demean, and they really won't engage with him compared to with the right where he went to CPAC and gave a speech where he talked about how he's pro-abortion, talked about how he doesn't like Trump, talked about how sometimes he agrees with the left more than right. And at the end of the speech, which had no interruptions, he was given a standing ovation. So I do think there is a very clear difference between the right's willingness to hear views they oppose with and the left's willingness to hear views they oppose with. And there was a study that showed this. Liberals are much more likely to uh, refuse to be friends with someone because of their political affiliation than a conservative part. So, so I would I would say that is a problem that is unique. Okay, but the number the of people who are still unwilling to be friends with people because of their political affiliation on both sides is too high for a healthy democracy, right? Like, no one wants to talk to people they disagree with, period. You don't see folks like... Ted Cruz going out to talk to Democratic leaders in Texas about their views. It doesn't happen. I mean, I would argue that they uh, would not uh, listen to him if he tried to, but uh, Ted Cruz has been willing to engage uh, with uh, the other side plenty of times from what I've seen. And the key difference is Ted Cruz is not trying to support a law or policies that would criminalize or discriminate against a viewpoint that disagrees with him, the left does. And and that, I would say, okay, is the uh, major Jack, difference. Jack, if you're going to conflate this to saying that Twitter needs to enforce its moderation policies against Donald Trump, why should we care what private companies do, right? Like, like here, here, here's, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out here. Okay, look, Republicans aren't okay with being deplatformed but want private companies to be able to do what they can. 
that's problematic to begin with. Second, neither party makes concerted efforts to actually reach out across the aisle to hear what others have to say who disagree with them. No one is interested in substantive debate on the policy issues at hand, and if they are, they're certainly not going into it with an open mind, willing to change their views on the matter, right? I just... Third... No, no, no. I'm going to go off on my rant here now, okay? All right, all right. Third, just because conservatives are less likely to stop being friends with someone due to their political opinion doesn't mean the fact that they're willing to stop being friends with someone due to their political opinion is a bad thing. Cancel culture exists on both sides of the aisle, and it's not healthy, right? And then this anti-anti-Trumpism, where you're simply opposed to people being opposed to the president, isn't actually debating policy. Like, no one is actually, no, no figure on either side of import is making a concerted effort to create healthy dialogue in this country on politics, period. I, I would have to strongly disagree with that. I mean, uh, on the right, like I said, the Dave Rubin was not allowed to talk at leftist events. He was allowed to talk at conservative events. They were respectful, whereas the left will interrupt your speech and try to get it shut down. I don't see widespread attempts to cancel on the conservative side of the aisle at all. Jack, uh, how many protesters, Jack, how many right-wing protesters have there been at Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders events during the primaries? Because I remember seeing it happen quite regularly. Well, protesting isn't the same as uh, canceling. Canceling is a, you, you should not be allowed to present your views and should be punished for doing so. Not, I, I disagree with your ideas and I want to protest against them. But we have seen, for example... Uh, on the uh, Ben Shapiro show, he invited every single Democratic presidential candidate to s interview with him and present their ideas to the other side. And uh, Pete Buttigieg, originally when he was a lesser known figure, thought about it because he needed the publicity so badly. But once he got high levels of Democrat support, he uh, refused to go on because he was afraid that the very fact he would go to the show would make him lose support. And there are, okay, plenty, Jack, of, Jack. There are plenty of liberals who uh, have refused to uh, talk with conservatives because they think they'll lose support for it, whereas conservatives are perfectly fine hearing the opposing view. Jack, when has a Republican presidential candidate voluntarily gone on the Young Turks? I can't think of a time the Young Turks invited a presidential candidate. In a okay, but even if they invited someone like Ted Cruz or... I, I think Ted, Ted Cruz Rubio. might be willing to do it. Would they go on the pro? Really? really? I think so, yeah. Do you honestly think they would go on that program? I think so, yeah. I think there's lots of evidence to prove that conservatives are willing to listen to opinions they agree with, whereas the left is unwilling to. And you can see that by the fact that uh, uh, what what's I just blanked on the name uh, Vox the Vox uh, owner Ezra Ezra Klein is that it? They're, I think so. He's never had to dish out hundreds of thousands of dollars for security to protect him when he goes to a speaking event because no conservatives show up trying to claim that speech is violent. Ben Shapiro has. Ben Shapiro has had to get bodyguards. Uh, Steven Crowder has had to get bodyguards. There has been an increased amount of hostility towards free speech on the left that just simply isn't present on the right and pulling data and policies by the respective parties back to the But um, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree on this. Yeah, one. I was about to say, we, we have been talking about this a while. What were we In even talking about? Yeah, what were we even talking about? Oh, yeah, the New York Times.
the New York Times op-ed. Um, yeah. There was one other small thing I wanted to mention. Um, of course, we got a job report out today that Donald Trump had a press conference praising it. The job report was actually what it looks good. Like the job report looks good. The numbers look good. Here are some concerns. One, this could be a dead cat bounce, right? Where even though the economy isn't doing well, we get a good job report. So we'll need to wait to see if this is really indicative of a larger trend. A lot of people are claiming this might be the start of a V-shaped recovery. I hope so, but I worry that we might see strong growth for maybe two or three quarters. And then it kind of flatten out and we end up with actually a less v-shaped recovery and more of a check mark shaped recovery so to speak or a nike swoosh shaped recovery that just looked like it was going to be v-shaped and then and then wasn't third a lot of the gains in the industry came from a lot of the gains in the job market came from place came from industries that normally hire a lot during the summer in preparation for vacation so they were kind of your tourism or leisure industries um so those gains aren't necessarily a surprise but it's good that we're still seeing them um the president held a press conference today about them during the press conference, the president ended up talking about how glad he was to see how peaceful things in Minnesota had, in Minneapolis had become, and he was sure that George Floyd was looking down from heaven and smiling about how it was being peaceful and how, you know, evidently people were listening to the message of injustices are happening and they need to be addressed systemically in society and that these are issues that matter um, and that Black Lives Matter, right? He, 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 made, he basically made that point. Headlines were run in not just left fringe organizations like the Young Turks, but in organizations like ABC News, which claimed that Donald Trump said that George Floyd was looking down from heaven and smiling because of the job report. Look, I want to root for the fourth estate in America politics, in American politics. Just like how I want to root for both sides to like, actually listen to the other side and engage in productive discourse. Again, we'll set that aside. Hope you enjoyed that fun debate. Um, I want the media to be trusted again. But you only become trusted again if you report facts. baffles me is that in probably a week we're going to hear a story about how america's like how the public's trust in the media is at an all-time low and then we're going to see a bunch of people in the media world going oh my goodness this is a travesty how can american democracy survive without a trusted media look the issue isn't the people right people want to trust their news outlets the issue is that media has shown time and time again that maybe we shouldn't trust it. And then when a leader like Donald Trump comes around to say fake news, people are inclined to listen because they report things like this. You don't need to say things like this. You can say the president had a pretty normal statement about Minneapolis. However, we're of course reminded by what he did in Lafayette Park, or we're of course reminded that this kind of rhetoric is not the norm for this president. Or like you can still add your, Criticism, you don't need to pervert the headline to make it false in order to criticize the president. 
It is, yeah, it is. The media is a complete disgrace uh, at this point. They uh, really just are trying to campaign for the Democrats a lot of the time. And well, really, or 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 they're trying to campaign for Trump. Okay, the Let's one be, like, the one news station that that campaigns Jack, for OAN Trump. OAN also exists. Right, OAN right. also exists. But the uh, mainstream media has uh, just been been a disgrace. Honestly, it, Jack, I'm required to remind you that Fox News and the Wall Street Journal are mainstream, and the right. Wall Street Journal editorial board hasn't been. CNN, ABC, all that, all, all of them, they uh, claim to be objective, but they are clearly just rooting for the Democrats. And uh, it's it's honestly a terrible situation we have ourselves in. What you'd like, ideally, in a country is when you're deciding who to pick for in November, you look at the two candidates and you look at candidate A and you say, well, there's a lot of really good reasons to vote for him. That's why I'm going to vote. What our current status is, is you look at candidate A and you go, he's terrible. But then you look at candidate B and go, oh, he's worse. I'm voting for candidate A. And what we seem to have ourselves uh, in is a situation, a uh, vicious cycle of sorts, where Trump proves why we shouldn't vote for him, and then the media try their hardest to prove why we should vote for him. And uh, if the media uh, continue to play this game where they try to take every comment out of context and make Trump seem like the next Hitler, they it's will It's not lose. even like they took it out of context, Jack. It's not even they took right, it out of context. Right, it's just straight up lie. They took it out of context and then stitched it together with another out of context quote. It is it, – it's incredible that they lie this much. Honestly, I'd say that it gives the Democrats at least five to ten points every single election cycle. Uh, and I, the crazy I, thing Jack, about it – Jack, 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 I'm required to remind you that Fox News is the highest rated news network in the country. That's that's because like it's the one place for conservatives to go. Like if there were multiple ones, it would uh, it would uh, lose its viewership. But I mean, there's studies that prove like 99 percent, 90 percent of news coverage for Trump for certain events is negative. The uh, the mainstream leftist media is definitely out to get him. And the crazy thing about it is you don't need to lie. The man is Donald Trump. You could just honestly report what he does, be totally objective about it. And it would look okay. really, really bad because Jack, it's it was Donald also the Trump. Associated Press, actually. Jack, here's what the Associated Press said. Yeah. Um, hopefully, George is looking down right now, saying this is a great thing that's happened for our country, end quote. President Trump said, mentioning George Floyd while touting the jobs report, quote, this is a great day for him. It's a great day for everybody, end quote. Yeah. It's the Associated Press. It's a wire service. What are they doing? Well, I, I do believe, was it the Associated Press that referred to... Uh, uh, Jack, that's... Oh, sorry, go. Was it the Associated Press or the uh, Washington Post that referred to... Uh, I believe it was Soleimani as the uh, religious scholar. It was uh, one terrorist leader. That was the killed. Washington Post. Ah, that yes. was the Washington Post. But yeah, the, uh, the media continue to prove... Why we and they are honestly Trump's best bet for re-election. If, if they let him get to attack them all summer again, like he got to do last election cycle, we, we will get four more years. And it's insane that they are so stuck inside this bubble that they can't come out and see that and see that their behavior and their actions are what is making him popular. I mean, you saw, we, we talked about the poll that Trump is not, be, is not very popular among Catholics and evangelicals right now. That's because behavior is pretty bad. But when you seem to strive to prove that your behavior can be worse, you're going to lose again. 
it's crazy that they seem unable to uh to get that together and just just be objective which would win you the election this is this is donald trump all right if you if you cover him objectively it's gonna look bad this is trump he did nothing during the month of february about the coronavirus pandemic after shutting down travel to china in january yeah this is the man like you don't have to try yeah, like uh, I loved how this comedian Bill Burr, one of my favorites, he was on Conan after Hillary lost, and he talked about how Trump did like five things a week that would kill any other campaign, and he was just tripping over one landmine after another. Like there, there's, uh, I think it was uh, Napoleon who said, "When your enemy is making a mistake, don't interrupt them." This that would be the case for the media, and as soon as you stop being objective, that's the equivalent to interrupting him, and that helps him out. And they, they, they really need to remember that. But uh, not not only are we dealing with a uh, media that is uh, slowly losing our trust, but uh, Texas GOP county chairs have decided oh, to boy. throw their uh, hat into the ring of just how t- crazy twenty twenty two. Get. And for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a recent problem where uh, multiple GOP uh, four. county four four, four of them uh, pushed Jeez. pushed a uh, racist conspiracy theory that uh, the George, George Floyd murder was uh, purposeful and meant to uh, destroy support for staged. Donald Trump. It was staged. Yeah, staged was what? Yeah. For the uh, 2020 God. election, it's a uh, seems very similar to Alex Jones' claims about Sandy Hook. It is uh, absolutely insane. Yeah, it is reprehensible. Demonstrably false. Yeah, but uh, it is worth noting that uh, as soon as this happened, both Greg Abbott and Ted Cruz have called on them to resign. And I think I can safely say that we shall see see them uh, removed from their positions uh, as quickly as is possible. Well, okay. Now, he, he, here's what got me: is Dan Patrick called on them to resign? If you know anything, oh, I thought you were going to say that Dan Patrick retweeted it. That was a that was a scary oh, moment, my friend. Yeah. If you know anything about one, the fact that we think that Dan Patrick could have retweeted it. Well, in this good. day and age, I don't put anything past anyone. Um, doesn't say doesn't say good things about Dan Patrick's leadership, but he. If Dan Patrick says you've gone too crazy, you've probably oh gone boy, crazy. did you cross the line a long time ago? Okay, like I don't, I don't. Look, here's the deal. I want the GOP to be the natural party of government again, right? Mm-hmm. I want the GOP to. Like, you know, be sensible, not do crazy stuff, not feel the need to virtue signal with bathroom bills. Here's what gets me. The GOP chairwoman of Bear County, one of the largest counties in Texas, where San Antonio is, retweeted this and has refused to resign even after the governor, the lieutenant governor, the state speaker of the House, both U.S. senators, former speaker of the House Joe Strauss, who, well, that's that's a that's another thing. Um, Joe Strauss isn't exactly liked by the Texas GOP, but that's that's a for another different time. story. Will Hurd, who 
as a reminder, is the only African-American member of the GOP caucus in D.C.'s, in the House in D.C. Um, All call on you to resign, and you reply with, oh, let me find this quote, because let me tell you, this is, this is absurd. Um... Here's what she said. Um, Oh, goodness. I'm sorry this is taking me so long, listeners. Um, You've ruined the show. It's terrible. I know. I had it pulled up earlier. Oh, my. I was like so like I was so far down the righteous outrage going here. Um. Uh, we're keeping this in, by the way, because I think people need to appreciate that um, that I'm I'm taking this time to make sure I get this right because it's 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 absurd, folks. She responded. She responded saying that she thinks the governor messes up a lot and doesn't always doesn't call for his resignation. That is that she makes a great point. Why? I mean, sometimes, how is this woman a well, county chairwoman? Well, Reem, Reem, hear her out. Isn't isn't simple tiny policy agreements the exact same thing? Is pushing a racist conspiracy theory. I mean, gee, that's a that's a pretty good argument. But no, in uh, all seriousness, uh, that that is reprehensible, and uh, it definitely does not look good. And also, like, how dumb are you? Like, it's one thing to think a terrible thing, but to as a public official go, I'm gonna retweet this to the world. Like, how stupid are you? Like that. Yeah, here's 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 part of where my problem comes from. I like superdelegates. I think superdelegates are a good thing for parties to have. I think parties having more control over their nominating process for any office is a good thing because it makes sure you don't get crazy people who don't believe in your party's core values running for office when they have no political experience. <laughs> Donald Trump. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am referencing the President of the United States. He should not have been allowed by the GOP to run for president. Period. However, the GOP rules don't say that. The GOP rules parties in the United States have relinquished a bunch of power. If the GOP had a sizable number of superdelegates, I maintain that Donald Trump would have lost the first ballot and someone else, probably Marco Rubio maybe, or like maybe Paul Ryan. Man, if Paul Ryan was president... Golly, what a time we'd be living in. Would have gotten the nomination because the superdelegates would have refused to vote for Trump because he's not an actual conservative. Here's the problem. County GOP chairs are the kind of people who could be superdelegates, like plausibly, or at least like superdelegates at state conventions. Like, let's say we bring back like the delegate process for state conventions and you have superdelegates at state conventions where they nominate the governor candidates or gubernatorial candidates. County GOP chairs are the kind of people who 
would be on short lists to be superdelegates. It does definitely show you have to balance. When county G- no, no, here's the deal. When county <laughs> GOP chairs are this crazy, you can't say that they should have more power over selecting who the president of the United States is because it could get worse. It, it does For the sh- love of all that is good, stop letting crazy people run local parties. I mean, it does show that you've got to balance the two interests. On one side, you have uh, just going all out popular and having no superdelegates or no uh, party control, which leads to basically mob rule, which uh, is not a good thing. But then also the elites can be pretty wrong sometimes, and uh, you, you don't want that either. So it, it is critical yes, but, to Jack, have that if balance. The elites, if, the elites are, if the elites are wrong mm-hmm. – then someone's going to win a majority in the primaries. As a reminder, Donald Trump did not win a majority of votes in the 2016 GOP primary. True. And he won far less than a majority if you take out the states after John Kasich and Ted Cruz had suspended their campaigns. Um, if the elites are wrong, it'll show up in the votes, right? So during the 2016 Democratic primary, a lot of noise was made, especially on the Sanders side, that, oh, the elites are wrong. They're stopping us. They're suppressing our campaign, which there is evidence they were actually suppressing the Sanders campaign. Um, that is somewhat proven, maybe? Yeah? Right? Jack, I'm not going crazy here. I literally have no idea what you're talking about, if I'm being honest, but okay, it doesn't surprise but me. In 2016, the Bernie Sanders campaign said the elites are suppressing us. Hillary Clinton got more votes in the 2016 Democratic primary than Bernie Sanders, full stop. Like, Right. If yeah. the elites were wrong, the people would have fixed it, right, with with their vote. So, like, even if you have superdelegates, I can't see a superdelegate. Uh, if you had a candidate get more than 60% of the vote in a primary, which I know is a lot, I don't see the superdelegates not backing them, right? But if they get maybe 51% of the vote in the primary, you would have an honest conversation among the party leadership about are we going in the wrong direction? Right. If Trump had eked out 50.1% of the GOP vote in the 2016 primaries and we had superdelegates and not all winner take all states at the end of the process. But that's a that's a conversation for another day. Episode 15 or 20 might be all about how we're going to fix the primary process, but not today. But like (laughs) for the love of all that is good have competent leaders lead local parties so I can actually advocate for making party leadership superdelegates. Please. And vote in local party elections and find out if the candidates are crazy because if they are, don't vote for them. It is. It is. You're definitely right, uh, Reem, but I worry it is wishful thinking. Government and competence don't usually uh, go together. So. But it's not even government. It's it's independent. Like political parties are independent organizations. Like the same with political parties. I mean, they're they're all disasters. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think we can all agree. Super delicate implications or not. Uh, pushing racist conspiracy theories is uh, not behavior becoming of a, a county chair, and certainly worthy of losing your position. Okay. However. There was a spot of good news from the world of internal Republican Party politics. Steve King lost his primary. 
Break out the champagne poppers, everyone. We did it. He's gone. And he has been replaced with a cookie-cutter Trump-supporting Republican. Yes, which, uh, again, although I uh, am not the a fan... The fact that, one, the fact that, sorry. The, 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 uh, I want to get this in before I let you, I let you go. All the right. fact that a cookie-cutter Trump-supporting Republican is seen as a good thing by the Republican Party is not a great sign. But it's objectively better than Steve King. Yeah, it, uh, for sure. I mean, uh, Steve King, for those who don't know about him, he was kind of a nobody. He would occasionally throughout the year say things where it could be interpreted one way or the other, where you were like, mm, probably wouldn't phrase it that way. But we usually gave him the benefit of the doubt. And then he came out a few years ago and he was like, since when did white supremacy become a bad word? And everyone was like, oh, no. Uh, and uh, since... He did that. He has lost all uh, committee uh, roles. Like the Republican Party basically exiled him. They took away all of his committee yep. assignments, everything. All he gets to do is vote up or down as is his right as representative, regardless if he is a Republican or Democrat. Like he can't take that away. Uh, immediately, I know mainstream Republicans. I know uh, like and David French believe each donated to his rival immediately. Jack, Jack, to be fair, David French is not a mainstream Republican at this point. He's like I have French moderate, but just... I, I, I love that man, and he is part of the Republican Party, I have decided. Uh, he is at least a great conservative. But anyway, mainstream yes. conservatives, if that's better, uh, donated to yeah. the uh, rival, and uh, I, I think it's very significant. Incumbents don't lose. Like, that's not a thing. Like an incumbent uh, they primary don't their is usually a walkthrough. The fact yeah. that Steve King uh, lost is a great thing, but also it disproves a common Democratic talking point. There, You hear a lot of times that the Republican Party is racist. Now, it is one thing to suggest that the Republicans and Democrats have different policy proposals and Democrats believe that their policy proposals benefit African-Americans or minorities more than the Republican ones. That's a, that's an argument you can make. And although I may disagree and, with it. And, and as our previous topic showed, there are some racists in leadership roles in the GOP. Yes. But although that that's true for the democratic party as well, but, uh, wait, 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 Jack, who in the democratic party is racist? So I am looking at a picture right Clinton standing with Louis Farrakhan, which is the moral equivalent of Donald Trump standing with David Duke. And then I'm looking at another picture that's been ver verified as true by Snoops, I believe it is, of Hillary Clinton getting a kiss from Senator Robert Byrd, a Democrat and Klansman. So uh, there, there are... Do you have to remind you that it took Trump like 48, 72 hours to disavow David Duke's endorsement of him? I didn't say that was that that Trump was good. Okay. I'm just saying that the the Democrats okay. sorry, are, sorry, sorry. The, the Democrats have no high horse is what I'm saying. Uh, the, Everybody uh, has affiliated with racists. Yes, yes that is true. And uh, okay. anti-Semites. So uh, yeah, and uh, Democrats with the party of slavery. But conversation for another time. Jack. Uh, <laughs> I, I not just have to. Now. I just have to pepper that in there. But there, you do not hear now. from the left. The left will insinuate it's not just that Republican policies aren't as good, but that. Republican policies are inherently designed and intended to have negative impacts on minorities, and Republicans seek a return to the days of Jim Crow, or as uh, Joe Biden described it of Mitt Romney in 2012, wanting to put y'all back in chains. That is a common Democratic talking point, 
and it's been proven false uh, by this course of events. So take, for example, the uh, racist uh, conspiracy theories. Yes, Republicans did that, but what happened? Immediately, all of the party leaders, Greg Abbott, Ted Cruz, John Cornyn, came out and condemned it and are trying to get them fired. You would think if they're racist, they would wink and nod and be like, good job, keep retweeting. And then if the Republican voter is racist, would not Steve King's comments have made him more popular and gotten him more votes instead of a nine-term incumbent losing by over 20 points in a primary? If uh, the Republican voters are trying to be racist, they are doing uh, quite a terrible job at it. And uh, it, it really is proof that that is just a, a slanderous talking point that, that has no merit and uh, shows that uh, they're attempting to attack character rather than debate on a basis of merit. Yeah, do you have anything to add on the uh, uh, great Steve I mean, King loss? I'm, I'm, I don't want to, want to get into how both parties use attacks on character to avoid attacks based on like policy because everybody does it. It's kind of a hallmark of our political discourse these days. Um, not in a good way. Um, but yeah, thank goodness Steve King is leaving Congress. We did it. Yay. I would also real quick just like to express my disappointment that when I got to go on a trip to Washington, D.C., of all the representatives I ran across and meet, of all the possibilities, the one I meet is Steve King. It was a, it was truly unfortunate. <laughs> and uh, uh, why, why Paul Ryan or Dan Crenshaw or someone I actually like couldn't have been walking by is beyond me. Okay, Jack, we have gone over an hour on today's podcast. So I know we promised our listeners that we would talk about the Netflix documentary, not documentary, the Netflix show Space Wars. However, we're going to hold on to that for next episode. And if not next episode, we'll definitely hit it on episode 10. So if you haven't finished the series yet, folks, you've got some time before we before we do a deep dive into our thoughts on it. Thank you, though, for staying tuned all the way to the end, listening to some of Jack and I's actual disagreements that we have on various issues of policy. I'm speaking for myself. I'm glad Jack and I can disagree with each other as respectfully as we do so. Um, what you're hearing on this podcast is how we talk in real life about these issues. So hmm. we're not toning it down. This is this is how we want discourse to happen, and we're... Jack, I'm sure you'll say something about this, but we're glad we have this platform to be able to show how we want discourse to happen in this country. Exactly. And even though we disagree, we're still able to be friends and have civil discussions. And uh, someday, eventually, Reem will come around and realize that uh, I was right. And that's going to be a great day that we all look forward to. But uh, in, in the meantime, uh, we, we, we can always disagree. Oh, Jack. Um, <laughs> oh, Jack. <laughs> Folks, thank you, as always, for tuning into the show. You can find us on Twitter at ThisIsNewsPod. Um, be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are using. It really does a lot and helps our podcast become more visible to those who might be interested in it. Jack, is there anything you would like to tell our listeners before we sign off? I mean, not to spoil my uh, what I think of Space Force, but I would recommend that... Y'all have a great week until our next episode and maybe spend your time doing something else other than watching it. 
folks. Have a terrific week, and we look forward to you tuning in next time. Thank you.